Well, this morning, we're leaving the area of patience, moving on into another area of things that we can add to our life to make our life complete. This morning, we're going to be looking at kindness. There is a story of a Sunday school teacher. She asked her class, and says, do you know the difference between kindness and loving kindness? And a little girl in the class, she raised her hand. She says, I know the difference. She says, kindness is like when you ask your mother for some toast. And she gives it to you with butter and jelly. That's, that's loving kindness. Loving kindness goes that little bit extra. But kindness is something that the Word of God says that we need to have in our life. That too many Christians seem to only put kindness on at certain times. But if you take kindness off, your life and the life of those people that are around you will be affected. Now, we've been looking at a number of things that we can add to our life. Remember what the first one was? Joy. Joy brings strength. Peace was another one. Peace is the empire of your life. It helps you decide between yes and no and this direction and that direction. It's also a guard. Then we looked at patience. And we saw the things that patience did. We spent a lot of weeks on patience. And I've been wondering if anybody has picked up where this list is in the Word of God. It would come from the area of Galatians. But the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering or patience. And then he adds, kindness. Kindness. Of course, he goes on with the goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. But this word here for kindness comes from the Greek word to mean to show kindness or to be friendly. To show kindness or to be friendly. It's a little bit different from goodness. We'll look at that some other time. But in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. His kindness toward us. We have an example of kindness of God to us. If God has given us an example of kindness, it is something that's imperative that we follow. But very often Christians will act in a way towards other Christians in a way they would never expect God to act towards them. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we're going to see this word again. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance? There that word is translated goodness in the New King James. But it's the same word. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? There is riches in goodness or kindness. There is riches in it. If you do not operate in kindness, you are taking away the riches from your life. Now think of it this way. How many of you can remember when you have been involved in an interaction with people and you have been kind? Have you felt a difference on the inside? Now, have you felt those people that can pull you into being nasty? What happens to you on the inside? Does not stuff go away from you? Good feelings go away? The riches of God begin to get sapped from your life when you step out of the area of kindness. Kindness adds many things to you. It adds all kinds of things. These are brought into your life simply by you being kind. These are not brought on by other people being kind to you. They are brought on by you being kind. Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? There is the goodness of God. We can despise it. How many people around you have despised the goodness that you have tried to, to pour out to them? You know what that feels like. And here, in Romans, he says they're doing it to God. In Colossians 3 and verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, <clears throat> put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Put it on. Put on tender mercies. Too often, folks, we want to jump in the area of judgment. Put on tender mercies. Put on kindness. 
It's something that you need to put on. You can take it off. You can put it on. You can decide to be kind. You can decide not to. Now, notice this. You got to put it on. Someone else does not take kindness off of you. You do. Therefore, as the elect of God, he's not talking to mere people. He's talking to the elect, the people that are born again, filled with the Spirit. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Kindness is something that you physically put on. You must be mindful of this. I am putting on kindness. We follow the example of God. I got this from uh, Rick Renner's book. He said, One scholar noted, when the word... Um, I can't read these things in English. Crestotes, kindness, is applied to interhuman relationships. It conveys the idea of being adaptable to others. That when this word is used, talking about people interacting, it speaks of an adaptability. That I can adapt to what people want. Too often you hear people say this, well, that's just how I am. Well, you're just going to have to love me the way I am. There's no adaptability there. Paul even wrote in another, another place. He said, I become all things to all men that I may win the more. We need to be more adaptable. Stop making people adapt to us. But kindness is essential. You need to put these things on. Put in your outline here. It's not an attitude of this is how I am. Accept it. Don't have that attitude. If you think that, don't, don't be doing it. Now, some people will say this too. They'll say, well, God accepted me the way I am. Yes, he did, but he wants you to change. <laughs> Just because God accepted you the way he is, the way you are, doesn't mean he doesn't want you to change. He wants you to grow into his image. We all know we got born again. We were not close to his image. But he accepted us anyway. Just because God accepted us doesn't mean he doesn't want you to change. He wants you to change. Adapt. Be willing to adapt to the needs of the people around you. Now let's take a look at this in action. In um, Matthew chapter 9, then Jesus went about... Now this particular word we looked at for goodness or for kindness, it's only used by Paul. No one else in the New Testament uses the word. But the concept is there with others. We're going to see here with Jesus. Matthew 9. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now think about this, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That means people came to him and they had needs. And he ministered to them. Have you ever had people at your work, in your neighborhood, in your family, that have needs and come to you for help? Have you ever reached your end? Or when you don't want to do that anymore. Have you ever reached a spot where at work people are always coming and asking for this, asking for that, asking for this? And you reach an end. And you say, I can't do this anymore. What is it? How is it that we usually respond at that point? Do we respond with kindness? We don't usually respond with kindness, do we? We usually become stern. We usually become even uh, unkind. And say some things to drive them away. To get them to go in another direction. To, will you stop bothering me with these things? I've had enough. You've given me so much work. You've given me so many things. Do you not appreciate the things that I've done? And we come back and we come, become unkind. Now think about this. Jesus is going about their villages. And everyone who was sick, everyone who needed ministry, came to Jesus and he ministered to them all. How many think Jesus might have got tired? And maybe some people came to him and he was tired. He'd been ministering all day. All day long ministering to people. Casting out demons. Getting rid of sickness. Healing. Whatever it might be. Miracles are going on. In between he's teaching. And eventually you just would get tired. Because he has a, a physical body like we do. He just gets tired. How many would know that he might get to that spot? Look people. Come back Tomorrow. Give me some rest. But he doesn't do that. He stays in the area of kindness. If Jesus did it, we can do it. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Here's the key. He saw the multitudes and he's moved with compassion. When we leave the area of kindness and move into the area of unkindness, 
is because we have left the area of compassion. We are no longer compassionate for other people. We are compassionate for ourselves. Do you not see what I have been through? Do you not see how much I have given? Do you not see how much I have? See, the compassion has left the other people. The compassion is gone for ourselves. But when he saw the multitudes, so he's already ministered to lots of people and then more multitudes are coming. Can you imagine that? All these people you've ministered to and you look up and here are all these multitudes coming to you. You want to say, the meeting's over. <laughs> we, we said the meeting was going to end at 8 o'clock. The meeting's over. And multitudes begin to come. And it says he is moved with compassion for them. And what's he do? He was moved with compassion for them. For them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He looked for a way to, to pray, to minister to more of, these, more of these people. Mark chapter 6, verse 29. <clears throat> when his disciples heard of it, what they heard of was that John the Baptist, his head was cut off. And how many of you know that would move them? Somebody very prominent in ministry. Someone who was very instrumental with them. And they, they heard that he was killed. Head cut off. That would have an effect on you. And Jesus saw it had an effect on them. Certainly it probably had an effect on Jesus. When, when his disciples heard it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now, at least one of John's disciples was over with Jesus. I wonder if that disciple went over and took care of the body too. Maybe some of the apostles went. But they came in and told Jesus the things that had gone on and what had, what had happened. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. He says, Come aside to a deserted place. Let's get yourselves by yourself where no one else is pulling on you. Just get you by yourselves and let's let you have a little bit of a time. And so they find this deserted place. No one's there. And they're not planning on staying there forever. They just want to go back there for, you know, a few hours, maybe a day. And then they'll come on back. He says, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Now, Jesus says this. What is Jesus' purpose for pulling them there? That they would be by themselves and that they would rest for a while. Isn't that Jesus' purpose? Isn't that his state? Doesn't he come out and say just that? And he goes to a place where there's no people so that he can accomplish it. Now look what happens. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Have you ever been so busy that you did not even have time to eat? You'd like to eat. You'd feel hungry. If you had time, you would eat. But it's just too busy. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, even got in a boat and went there. But the multitude saw them departing and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. So they saw him leave and I know where he's going. I know where he's going and we can get there. And so they, they don't think for, I don't know, they're not thinking this or they don't care. We're, we're not thinking, oh, he's going there because he wants to be by himself, but then he'll come back. No, no, no. We need to go over there with them now. And so they run. And they come from all the cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. How'd they get there before him? Boats don't go all that fast. Especially these. They're either a sailboat, a rowboat, something like that. They don't got that, little, that uh, motor you can put on there and just hum along. So they ran there and got there faster. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. How many of you would be moved with anger? You knew about a deserted place. You got in the boat. You didn't tell anybody where you're going. Your plan was, let's go there. Let's be by ourselves. Let's, uh, let's recover some. Let's meditate on the Word. Let's pray. Let's rest. Let's do some things by ourselves without everybody else pulling on us. And when they get there, the deserted place had become filled. Before they even got there. They get out of the boat. Here they all are. 
They are, the disciples are all looking forward to going to a place to be by themselves. Haven't you done that before? Gone to a place just to be by yourself. Maybe you went to a library just to sit and be by yourself. Maybe you read a book. Maybe you went to a, a store, but instead of going to a store near your house, you went to a different store. So that you could be around nobody you knew. Right? Just get away from all that. How much, how much do you just kind of plan on, I just want to be by myself. And then you get there, and all of a sudden there's people that you know. And they all come up. Hi. How you doing? Hey, can you help me with this? And they begin to draw off of you. If you're the disciples, how many of you are a little upset? Man, we were supposed to come out here. I could hear the conversations with the disciples. Can you imagine? Because we kind of know a little bit about these guys. We were supposed to be here by ourselves. It was just supposed to be us and Jesus. Nobody else. Nobody else was invited. Nobody else was supposed to come. It was just supposed to be us and Jesus. We are supposed to get some rest. We're not going to get any rest. It's all these people. You know what these people want? They want us to minister to them. They want Jesus to heal them. They want Jesus to teach them. And if Jesus goes into teaching mode, healing mode, what happens to us? Well, we've got to go into usher mode. We've got to go into service mode. We've got to go into catching mode. We've got to do all these things. But Jesus was moved with compassion for them. Because if you're going to operate in the kindness of God, you have got to have compassion for the people that you're going to have kindness for. Think of it this way. We use these guys all the time. But uh, I don't know of anybody better. You call up the number, 800 number, for help. You want to get the customer service people. Talking to the customer service people. And it doesn't go well. They're not helpful with you. You know, it's, um, it's, I'll tell you, some customer service people, you just kind of wonder about these, these kind of things. I remember uh, this, this one time we were, um, I called up a customer service, but every, every, have your windshield fixed? I've never had my windshield fixed before, ever, in all the cars I've had before. Never had one fixed until I got this truck. Got this truck and something happened to it. Something hit the windshield. And up in the left-hand corner, there developed this crack. It was about an inch, little, uh, inch or two long. And so, you know, we called the people in the <clears throat> TV ad, um, uh, Safe Flight. Called them on up and told them where I was. They came over to the house. They looked it over and said, yeah, our, our repair will we'll fix that. So they uh, injected it with the stuff and, and uh, that worked. But I still could see the crack. See the crack there. For years, I saw the crack. It was just still there. And then one day, I think it was right around Memorial Day. I believe it was this, year, uh, this past year. Uh, I parked the truck on, on Sunday. I didn't have to go anywhere on Monday. Tuesday, I came out to the truck. Never had gone anywhere, never had driven. And the crack went from the two inches that it was to about four or five inches. It just grew. So I called the people up. And I, I called them up. And uh, I called them from my cell phone. I pretty much do everything from my cell phone. Called them from the cell phone. And uh, I said, yeah, I have I'd gotten the uh, windshield fixed before. And uh, the crack uh, continued. It extended and went further. And they say... Well, okay, and they immediately knew who I was. Okay, Stephen, uh, are you still at 20 Meadow Glen Road? I said, yeah. And the crack was up in the upper left-hand corner? Yep, that's exactly what. And you drive this particular car? Yeah. <laughs> they had all that information just from my phone. I never had to give them a, a bit of it. Had it all right there. They said, well, we got you all set up. We'll have somebody on out there, and they'll, uh, they'll take care of it for you. I said, Nice. I mean, that, that's, how you should, that's how it should work. In this society, with all the computer stuff, isn't that how it should work? You call out the place. They have all the information right there. And then they just... But most of the time, we call customer service. You know what they do? Could I have your name? How do you spell that? And, and what's your address? And what's your email address? I was on the phone with somebody yesterday. They wanted my birthday, too. What's your birthday? One time I asked them, don't you have all this information? Isn't it there? Well, yes, it is. We're just confirming it. <laughs> they got to confirm every bit of information. And we weren't done yet. We had to go on and we had to do the phone number and we had to do all sorts of stuff. And it's like, come on. <laughs> Remember something. 
that would be kind of nice if we could uh, if we could do that. Well, whatever the reasons they have for, for doing it that way. But you know, if, if a customer service person is not dealing with us in the way that we want, our compassion for them begins to dwindle. How many have ever had your compassion dwindle for the customer service person on the other end? We have, we have no compassion for them at all. I don't care about you. I only care about me right now. And as soon as we do that, what happens to our words? What happens to our thoughts? What happens to our actions? It doesn't go well, does it? We go from the area of being kind to the area of being unkind. We have taken kindness and we took it off. We took it off faster than we would take off a coat on a hot day. I mean, we got rid of that thing. I do not need kindness on right now. If I'm going to get this thing done, I have to get it done through being unkind. I'm not sure why we think that works. But we do. But what happens is we lose compassion for the people on the other side. And we grow in compassion for ourselves. Jesus had compassion for the multitudes. And he operated in a way of being kind. When the day was now far spent, verse 35, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Are they compassionate right now about the people? I mean, it sounds like it. We're concerned about these folks. They need to get some food. Uh, we're, we're, we're concerned about where they're going to go to eat. Uh, we need to send them away now so that they can do all these sort of things. Really, I think the story is that they're getting growing in compassion for themselves and not so much for the people. Watching Jesus minister all these folks, all these people getting healed and set free and being taught. and They're thinking, what did we get? Did we get our rest? No. Did we get taught? No. Did we get ministered to? No. All we're doing is organizing all the people in healing lines. All we're doing is making sure that Jesus has the room that he needs to do the ministry he wants to do. All we're doing is ministry, ministry, ministry. Send them away. Send them away. We don't need them anymore. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, if your compassion for the people in question is at an all-time low, and Jesus says, minister to them some more, you'll give them something to eat. What's your reaction? And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. Now we know the story that they got these things from a little boy's lunch. If your kids ever complain about school lunches, I just want you to take them right over here to this passage of Scripture and say, I have not sending you with five loaves and two fish. <laughs> Gave you something a little better than that. And this little boy, he had five loaves and two fish. Well, this is what we got, but what is that amongst so many? Jesus said, we'll put them in groups. And with the rest, you know the rest of the story, how it went, and the, the, the fish and the bread multiplied, and everybody ate until they were full. It wasn't a feeding of 5,000. It was 5,000 men, probably their wives, and probably some of their kids. So it could have been excess of 20,000 people. That would be a lot of people to be feeding with five loaves and two fish. Feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew 15, Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, and lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, if you're the disciples, you've been ministering with Jesus for these people, 4,000 men, their wives, their kids, for three straight days. 
How many of you are ready to see them go? Think of it this way. Thanksgiving holiday comes. All the family comes over. And they're staying for five, six hours. The end of that five or six hours, how many are ready for it to be over? Ready for it to be over? Just be able to sit back and relax. Do what you want to do. Not have to cook more food and do more stuff. Just let them all all go. Especially, how many of you have done these things? You had these meals, family comes on over, and you say, you know, we're going to eat it at 2, and at 2 o'clock, half of them show up. And at 3 o'clock, another bunch of them show up. And then at 4 o'clock, some more of them show up. And 5 o'clock, some more of them show up. And so you're making dinner for 2, uh, at 2 o'clock, you're making more dinner at 3, then you're making more dinner at 4, then you're making more dinner at 5. You're not all probably in the best mood at that point. Three days this meeting went on. People getting healed, the lame walking, the mute speaking, the blind seeing. Jesus was teaching for three whole days. And nobody went anywhere. He says, I have compassion on them because for three days they've stayed with me. They have nothing to eat. Nothing to eat for three days. Now think about it today. How many Christians have a hard time lasting through Sunday morning service to get out to the restaurant? Three days. Three days. Well, I mean, the disciples were ministering for three days. They may not have had anything to eat either. I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said to him, Seven, and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. Now, if you're the disciples, this is the second time this has happened. Wouldn't you get the idea that, hey, <laughs> he did it before. He could do it again. Maybe when he says, you give them something to eat, they might get excited and say, oh, I remember what happened last time. I'm going to get excited. We're not just going to be doing healing lines now. We're going to be watching bread and Fish multiply. Oh, this will be fun. But they didn't get that way. See, Jesus had compassion for the multitude. You have got to stay in an area of compassion for the people that God has given to you. You've got to stay in that area of compassion. If you fall out of the area of compassion, you will fall out of kindness. You will not have kindness for them. Now, let's take a look at, uh, go back over here to Numbers. We were spending some time in Numbers looking at the children of Israel. How many remember what the children of Israel's favorite thing to do was? They like to complain. If a bad situation rose, they found a reason to complain about it. Now, we're jumping this, uh, on this one in the middle, in Numbers chapter 16. We just finished with the rebellion and God wiping out a whole lot of people. Now, now God did this two times. One time He did it where the earth opened up and they went down inside the earth and then the earth closed and it swallowed them. Another time he did it and fire came down. Burned them up. Sent the Korah out there with the censers. Fire came down from God, from heaven. Just down, burned them up. Uh, either one of those situations, we really can't do. But on the next day, all the congregation, how many? All. The congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. Now, if you had a Moses and Aaron in your life and people rebelled against him and one time God got so fed up with it, he sent fire down and another time the earth opened up and swallowed them. How many of you are going to be real quick to join this crowd? I don't think I necessarily want to join this crowd and go in the direction that they're going. Especially after it just happened. I mean, it just happened. We just saw it. And the next day, all the congregation, the children of Israel, murmured against Moses and Aaron. Now look at what they're saying. You have killed the people of the Lord. I had strange fire going on there. People thought, we can, we can do this. We don't have to be uh, sons of Aaron. We can do this. And God says, no, you can't. Tell you what, going out there and uh, you guys get over on this side and 
Aaron, your folks, you get over on this side, and whoever is right, good. So they got over here, and they did their thing with the fire, and fire came down from heaven and burned them all up. And they said, you have killed the people of the Lord. Can you imagine being this warped, that you would think that Moses got up there, had fire come down. No, God had to be involved. Now, what happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Now, when that happened, they were supposed to go out there and talk to him. But they knew this is bad. This is bad. This is not, not a good situation. We don't got a whole lot of time here. We already saw some of the rebellion and some of the things that happened with the children of Israel. The snakes biting them. All kinds of things that happened that they died. But this is the next day. Now the cloud and the glory make their appearance on seven different occasions. When the cloud of the, the glory cloud came down and covered. Happened seven different occasions. I gave you the references in your outline there. If you want to go back later on and take a look at them. Verse 43, Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among the congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So he says, Get away. And remember with um, uh, one of the rebellions, that God says, Get away from those people. Get away. And what happened? Everybody got away. There are three times that God told Moses to get away. In Exodus 32, we read that one not too, too long ago. Moses, let me alone. I will wipe this people out. Numbers 16.21, separate yourselves. And 16.45, get away from among them. I'm going to wipe these people out. So verse 46, so Moses said to Aaron, take a censer, put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it, and take it quickly to the congregation. And make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. He knew this was going on. We got we to do something now. Because this is not going to be good. Now, if you were Moses, put yourself in Moses' position. And how many times now have the children of Israel complained against Moses? Said some things not very nice. Did some things not very nice. And each time Moses responded in a, in a way to help them. And here it is again. They come and they blame him for something he didn't do. He had no hand in. And they blamed him. And how does Moses respond? Moses responds in kindness because Moses still has compassion for this people. Don't ever let people tell you that the way other people act will pull you out of compassion for them. Because if anyone had the right to have that happen, it was Moses. Because they did not act right towards him at all. Forty years, he wandered around with them in the wilderness. Forty years, he hung out with them. And how many times he interceded for them. Put himself between God and them. So much so that God says, look, let me alone. I'm going to wipe these folks out. Get away from them. I'm going to wipe them out. He says, go put a censer. Put fire in it. Because the, because the uh, plague has started. Wrath has gone out from the Lord. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. <clears throat> and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living so the plague was stopped. Now I don't know exactly what that is but that doesn't sound like to be a great place. He stood between the dead and the living. How many of us would just say I'm going to go over here to the living side and just stay here. All you folks on the dead side go ahead and die. I'm going to stay over here care about you guys. But he didn't do it. Moses gave Aaron a command and Aaron did it and stood between the dead and the living so the plague was stopped. Moses doesn't spend any time trying to convince God, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Just sends Aaron right into the midst. This is where the plague was going on. 
whatever the plague was, Aaron goes into the midst of it. Can you imagine that? Having compassion for a people who does nothing but complain and rise up and want to kill you. To go into the middle of the plague where people are dying. This is a violent plague. People are dying quickly from this thing. And Aaron goes into the midst of it with the censer. The same thing the judgment was brought for because the people had the wrong censers. Brought strange fire before God. Now this was a fast moving plague. We had the people come and complain. The glory cloud descend. Moses saw it. He's listening to the people. Turns around. Here's the glory cloud coming down upon the tabernacle of meeting. And immediately he tells Aaron, Go, the plague has started. How long do you think all that takes? Ten minutes? Fifteen minutes? Let's just, let's just be real generous here. Let's say it took an hour. I don't think it took an hour. Let's say it took an hour. Now, those who died in the plague were 14,700 beside those who died in the Korah incident. So, we're not counting any of the folks that had the fire come down from heaven and burn them up. 14,700 people died from this plague in less than one hour's time. What kind of plague does that? And if Moses doesn't act immediately, if this goes on for not, if, if Moses doesn't act with compassion and says, man, you guys deserve this. And he holds back for a little while. Say he holds back for 10 minutes. How many more thousands of people die? This is a fast-moving plague. And he jumped right on it. And there's no way that you could have moved any faster than Moses moved. And so we can say only 14,700 died. But this was grievous enough to God that he would have wiped them all out. Tell you what, don't, don't forget that stuff about complaining. Don't get into complaining. Don't do it. It does not help you. It hurts you. It hurts the people that are around you. 14,700 people die. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says this, Love suffers long and is kind. Love suffers long and is kind. How long have you suffered? Moses suffered with these people for 40 years. 40 years he suffered with these people. And what's he doing? He is still kind. He is still kind. How many of you got some people in your life that can pull you from kindness into unkindness very quickly? But the Word of God says that love suffers long and is kind. Love suffers long and is kind. That's the same word there. We've got to work in the area. We've got to get the kindness going on in our life more. We've got to stop being the kind of people that will jump from being kind to being unkind. There should be nothing that is able to do it. Now, if you wonder, well, how is it that Jesus or that God acted this way towards the people of Israel and was ready to wipe them out? Probably next week we get into the, to why that is. But love suffers a lot, long time, and is kind. Stay in the area of kindness. Don't move into the area of being unkind to people that are around you. They will try and move you that way, just like the people of Israel did. They will try and move you into the area of being unkind. They will operate with you in a way that is unkind. If you take unkindness off, you are the one who is affected. Moses realizes this. If I take unkindness off, I'm the one who gets hurt. I'm the one who's affected. Jesus understands this. He continually operates in a way of kindness to people who just seem to want to come out and get what they want. And then they go off on their way. And we mentioned this to you before. 
But Jesus went around healing all that were sick. <clears throat> all that were sick. All that needed healing. Demon possessed. All these kind of things. How many people he ministered to. And how many of those folks. Or people. Who had relatives or friends. Who were healed. Showed up and said. Crucify him. How many people did that? It's the same thing that Moses is going through. Moses laid his life on the line for these people and they keep coming up trying to kill him. And yet Moses keeps operating in kindness. Be kind. The Word of God says that, doesn't it? Be kind one to another. Yeah, be kind. Just be kind. Just don't be going off and, and saying nasty words and harsh words. Now we do it all kinds of ways. Sometimes we get that sarcasm thing that goes on. Right? And we just kind of say some things. They just kind of make it known. I don't like this a whole lot. And we shouldn't do it. There are times that people in ministry, in the church, in our families, have done things to us and it feels like they took something from me. How should you respond? You need to have kindness going on. Now, there's a place for sternness. We see that Jesus is doing... We'll get into that. But you see, we're going over to being stern, but we're not necessarily doing it in the right way. We're talking to our spouses. We're talking to our kids. We're talking to our relatives. We're talking to our friends. We're talking to the body of Christ. And if we don't get something that we like, we come back with an unkind word or a word that will be heard as unkind. You know, we've seen those uh, shows on the TV, you know, the two ladies come together and they don't like each other. One lady has on a dress and, and she says something that sounds very flattering, very, very nice. Oh, that is such a nice dress for you. I had one just like that last year. Just something to kind of cut. We, we don't need to be doing that. Listen to your words. Are you saying words that are intended to sound kind, but in the end, you know there's venom in there. Get rid of those words. Don't speak those words. I saw one person say something like this. The kindest word you can say is not saying an unkind word. I had to think about that one a little while. I'm not quite sure. If I think there's some more kinder words you can say than that, but I get what they're, that they were saying. I put this one in your outline for you. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. <laughs> say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Folks, we've got to make sure that our words are not filled with anger, with nasty sarcasm, with venom, with things that are intended to hurt. If you're going to speak something like that, just keep your mouth shut. Don't, don't be saying them. Keep your mouth shut. Because we need to have kindness. If you keep kindness on, things will go better. Things will go better. For you. Not just for the other people. Things will go better for you. Well, I need to tell that person what I mean. I need, they need to know how I feel. No, they don't. They do not need to know how you feel. Because how you feel, first off, may be wrong. And secondly, it may change. Quit it. Stop saying unkind things. Even if you think they deserve it. We need to make sure that we keep our words kind. You know, we've seen it happen in, in church situations. Something goes on and somebody feels like I wasn't included. I didn't know. And they come out with a, with a statement. Can't be doing that. Can't be. That's an unkind statement. You just took kindness and, and took it off. Now, the children of Israel are always taking kindness off. But Moses knows, I got to keep it on. I have got to keep kindness on. Now, let's just do a quick survey. How many of y'all in the winter, we'll give you a winter day, 25 degrees, wind blowing at 20 miles per hour? And it looks like it might snow. 
How many of you have a coat on? You go outside for a long period of time. How many of you have a coat on? All right. So imagine you are outside 25 degrees, wind blowing at 20 miles an hour, and it looks like it might snow. And you have that coat on. How many of you all know it feels a lot better, even though you're outside in 25 degree weather? It feels a lot better with that coat on than if you were to take it off. Now, what does someone have to do in 25 degree weather with wind blowing at 20 miles per hour? Snow possibly coming. What does someone have to do to get that coat off of you? <laughs> Corey's pretty extreme back there. He's <laughs> I, I will die before I let this coat go. <laughs> yeah, I'm not letting that coat go. I am hanging on to that coat. Because that coat is the barrier between me and what is going on out here. Now, some of what's going on out here can, can affect me. You know, your face can get affected, and uh, unless you get yourself all wrapped up there. Uh, you, some people do that, I guess. Uh, but you've got gloves on, you've got the coat on. I mean, you're, you're pretty well bundled up from the stuff. Come, you're, you have your barrier there. But you won't take that coat off. Because if you do, then the elements that are out there affect you immediately. And even though they're affecting you some, it's not as bad as it will be if you take that coat off. And we're not just talking about a little windbreaker. We're talking about a coat that is sufficient. To, you know, L.L. Bean, Eddie Bauer type coats. You know, they are made to keep you warm when you've got stuff like that going on. This is a sufficient coat to do it. You will not just willingly take that coat off because of the elements that are trying to get in. And yet, we will take off kindness because someone said something we didn't like. Because someone did something we didn't like. We will keep on our natural coat no matter what. But our spiritual coat, take it off in a heartbeat. If I feel like it. If I get mad enough. If I need to make my opinion known. I will take off kindness. And I will stand up in the elements of the world. 25 degrees. Wind blowing at 20 miles per hour. Snow possibly starting at any moment. And I will take that coat off. And I will stand up defiantly. And say what I have to say. We won't do it in the natural. But we'll do it in the spirit. Kindness is there to bring riches into your life. Kindness is there to bring riches into your life. Don't take it off. If you take it off, you let go of the riches that God has for you. They go by the wayside. The things that God wants you to have are gone. Put this in your outline for you. Kindness changes you and those around you. Kindness changes you and those around you. Now understand this. So does being unkind. If I am kind, it changes me and also changes the people that I interact with. If I step into unkindness, it changes me and it changes those that are around. Think of it this way. Have you been in a spot not even thinking about anything, not even doing it, just all of a sudden in a, in a place and someone says or does something very unkind? Doesn't that change you? Can't you just feel that kind of being jolted by that? Put you on a defensive? You might, want to, might, might even stir up words that you want to say something back to them? It can change you. Unkindness can change you and the people around you. Be careful of the sarcastic remarks you make. Be careful of the unkind words that you say. Always be kind. You don't have to get your opinion out there. No one is set free because of your opinion. They are set free because of the Word of God. If you have an opinion about something, it may be wrong. Keep your mouth shut. Pray about it. Meditate on it. 
find out all the things that you need to find out about it. And then, if God gives you something to say about it, say it. But say it in a kind way. Have kindness when you say it. Put on kindness. Oh, I'll tell you what, folks, it helps us out. Put on kindness. Don't let those underhanded slaps in the face come out of your mouth. Be kind. If you call up those customer service people and you just determine, I am going to beat them over the head with kindness. I'm going to be so kind, they're going to be sick of it by the time I get done. You will find out that most of the time, the people on the other end are more than willing to do something extra for you. I heard uh, Keith Moore, he told a story one time. They were traveling somewhere. And um, something happened with the weather. They, were on, they, were, they didn't have their, their own plane then. They were traveling with, you know, uh, commercial. And a storm had hit, winter storm, closing down the airport. And they had to be someplace for, for ministry. They were supposed to be somewhere. A meeting was supposed to start up, and they had to get there. Went up to the, to the counter, and they said, anybody ever heard this story? Ever heard and tell this story? Oh, good. It's a new story for you. Went up to the counter and it says, um, I know you got all kinds of people around here that have to be someplace. And, you know, we're no different from them. We're supposed to be out over here doing this meeting. If there's anything you can do, we sure would appreciate it. And he says, uh, very good, sir. I'll, uh, I'll let you know. And uh, so they went and they sat down. And then somebody else uh, came up there and they just read them the riot act. They just were so nasty and so so harsh and, and mean. And another person came up and they did the same thing. Just harsh and mean and yelling at them. And you, know, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know all these kind of things. And he's just typing away on the computer. No, sir, sorry. There's nothing we can do for you. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. And they were just being very nice back. But, you know, these folks were just being that way. And um, he came to a spot and he, he uh, called. They were sitting over. The, he and his wife were sitting over there. And he called them on over. Come on, come on over. And he uh, typed on a few more things and typed on a few more things and said, oh, look at that. Typed on a few more things and says, yeah, we got you uh, booked on this uh, flight going out over here. You got to head on down to this, this gate. And as he's doing this, he says, he was talking to him. And he says, the person before you, they didn't know this, but I could have helped them. <laughs> I could have helped them. You see, the kindness will get you somewhere. Unkindness isn't going to help you. Follow after a God's plan. Even if you don't get out of an airport in the middle of a snowstorm, you stay with it the way God says, and the riches of God will continue on in your life. I said this to you in the beginning, how many of you feel something leave when you start to get unkind? Those things will stay when you stay kind. Be kind to each other. Make sure that your words that you say out of your mouth, say kind words, say nice words. We all have gotten into a situation we get caught up in something and we say words that we, ah, oh, I wish I hadn't said those things. Unkind words. Get back into the kind areas. Put on kindness. If you took it off, put it back on again and be kind. It will affect you. It will affect those that are around you and it will greatly help you out. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you that you have equipped us. You have given us things to help us in our life. You have put joy in our life. Then when we operate in joy, strength comes into our life. When we operate in peace, we get to know which direction we should go. We don't make mistakes. And uh, that peace guards us and keeps us. We thank you, Father, for patience. And as our patient level increases, so does our faith. And all the blessings that come when we are patient. And Father, we look at Kindness. We need to operate in kindness the way that you operate in kindness. Our words need to be kind words. Our sarcasm needs to get removed from our speech when it's putting others down or underhandedly saying something about another. Father, we want to have kind words. Kindness should be a part of our life every single day. No matter how much people have pulled on us, drawn from us, taken from us. Father, we want to stay in the direction you've given us to be kind one to another. This week, Father, wherever it is we go, whatever it is we do, 
Remind us of your words to put on kindness, to be kind, to follow after the kindness of our Father God. I thank you, Father. The good things come to us. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Well, we got some praise reports. I see over here. If you didn't get your praise report in, bring that on up. I had a praise report from my mom. She said, For he shall give his angels charge over thee. They shall bear you up in their hands. I want to thank and praise our Lord for his care and provision for me. In my recent car accident, people at the scene were amazed that I walked away with no visible injury. I am also thankful uh, for my son who is very helpful and patient as I made a decision for a replacement car. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so much... Uh, so much of that. It's just car dealerships just take a long time to do things. But we were kind. Right, Mom? We were kind with them. Kenny and Bobby, we were in the supermarket the other day, and the lady that was in front of us received a $5 coupon for her food order. She said if she took it home, she, wouldn't, she would not bring it back. Oh, okay. So she asked if we would like to have it. So naturally, we said yes. So that was a $5 blessing to our food order. Glory to God. Those things, kind of things are good. All right. Dietrich, my eye is healed. Uh, I can see. No, no uh, black cast over peripheral vision or pain in the eye after she got hit in the eye. All right. She sent that note around to, to some, some folks. We were praying for her for that one. Uh, Lamar and Mandy had this one. <laughs> I held off my praise report for months because it never seemed like it was complete. It didn't fit nicely in eight lines of paper with a beginning and an end. But a report is not necessarily a final conclusion, but rather an update on an ongoing situation. However, if it, if it did, it would be stuff was messed up and he fixed it. Uh, uh, wait, wait, no, improved. And improving and, and um, improving, not sure that that's a word. <laughs> improving it's, it's still going to be continued and while the grammar sounds off <laughs> it is the best way I can bend words to accurately describe it for anyone wanting a detailed uh, version here is my best effort in the Cliffs Notes or a more modern brain dump King of Kings and Lord of Lords I took it for granted I had read it too too much lacking the understanding and appreciation of what it means he broke and recreated my view and understanding there. I will start with a business report. Those who know me will chuckle because I am passionate about business. I enjoyed starting, growing, and improving business. I also like definites and guarantees, yet business only guarantee is risk. One business is in which I am involved is construction. The business handled a stressful and difficult project. I'm condensing eight chapters into a scene here. But one of the issues with the project was extra work was asked to be done. My suggestion was to figure out the cost of the work up front. Others for whom the work was being done thought there was no time to do that and communicated that it would be figured out later. Just get it done. This project was part of a, of a bridge and quoted statement later. When the costs were tallied up, there is no way that much is being paid for the work. Needless to say that after the extreme pressures of the project in eight chapters that I skipped of aggravating details, there was not news we wanted to hear. I wish I could say I didn't have conversations with said individuals in my head or fret about the implications of not having the money, but that wouldn't be true. What I did do was ask my Heavenly Father for help. Cutting to the end, we were called by another division of the same company to do more work. Not just to do more work, but to bail them out on two projects. Their planning, in our opinion, had been poor on past projects, and I said we hadn't been paid on another project, so there is no way I can do additional work. The person said they understood, but would make some calls. Several hours later, we received a call that we would be paid in full the amount we were told we would never get. Plus, because of the poor planning, I told them we would have to charge twice as much on this new work. All was approved, including the cost of the new work. The, ama <clears throat> the amazing thing is, with all I have told it doesn't even scratch what was going on at the time aside from the business report. We had individuals to which we owed money and had done the best to pay asking for payment on things for which we had been delayed payment. At one point, we owed over 300K, 300,000 in business debt that we had no idea how to pay. I had gone to what I called a meeting of the Godfathers, which is who these people resembled, to tell them that while I had no idea how I was getting paid, that it would get the, 
that it would get paid if I had to work at McDonald's to do it. You can imagine this did not instill confidence, but I was up front. Today they are all paid, and when I talk to them about plans, they say, if you say it, we believe it. (laughs) That's nice to hear. None of what you heard or read is because of me. There is a verse that says, even the fool is counted wise when he doesn't speak. I sit in meetings often when I am the least knowledgeable in the room of many people. I don't say much, if anything. I use Google to figure out something, just what was said. (laughs) I am the fool. Yet my King of kings, Lord of lords, Almighty God, and most importantly, my heavenly dad, all the same individual had my back, protects my sides and leads me, gives me what to say, and most importantly, when. Some people would pump me up to say that I am, insert compliment, a little blank line there, but in many instances, in fact, most I am the fool, recognizing that the from whom comes my wisdom, knowledge and understanding is key for me. At this point, I will pause, however, that was one snippet of God's work. The most important ones I haven't told because they are so messy yet amazing that I haven't figured a way to condense them. The best is my children. By the accounts of many, I would not be fit to be a dad. I am not a particular parent, if there is such a thing anymore, but God has taught me secrets and concepts on how to love, nurture, and develop my kids. Many days I wake up and think, wow, I have kids. And then, thank God, are you sure about this? Yet my kids and the relationship I have with them has taught me the most about how God loves me how my parents loved me and why they made the choices that didn't make sense to me at the time. So if I were to, to nutshell this, it would be to say God loves you so much that he is going to get in the, sup, uh, the souping mess of your life. We want him to make things like the original ingredients prior to them going into the soup to start over. He instead leaves it soupy and adds ingredients to make the soup taste amazing. The result is a life of things you can't easily condense nor you want to. I appreciate hearing that. I heard some of those things as they were going on, but oh, it's great to great to see that that go on. All right, um, Bruce, you got anything more? Okay, let's all stand up. Next week we have our covered dish dinner. We got a lot of important things to uh, go over with you. You need to be here at the meeting to really see all these things. So. As much as you can, plan on being here and just sticking around. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. It always ends up we have the cover dish on Super Bowl Sunday, but the Super Bowl don't start till six six thirty. Um, so you know we're we're done way before that. So it won't even won't even affect you. You got to eat somewhere. You might as well eat here. We'll be all done by about two fifteen or so for for that for uh, next Sunday. Today after this after the service one o'clock we're going to come back here for the end times class. We got a number of things on the on the. Um, topic here this time. The, um, I put it up on Facebook. It didn't seem like a lot of people were seeing it. So uh, if you do see it, uh, you know, interact with it. Uh, apparently, I hear that you'll see more of those things if you, if you put some interaction in there. But we start off with Paul's teaching. Paul's teachings are unique in that Paul teaches us about end times events with the church in mind. He's the first one to do it. Jesus didn't do it. Daniel didn't do it. Nothing in Ezekiel had the church in mind. Paul received the revelation of the church and then taught about the end times. And there are several things inside of 1 Corinthians 4 and 5 that will really help out with that. We put some of the things up there and uh, Corey took it and, and put it up on the uh, screen for us and I guess it'll page through a few of the, you can see what's, uh, what's going on. But there's a couple of things we wanted you to take a look in this. One was, how many of y'all seen the, in the scripture where it says the dead in Christ will rise first? Yeah, how is a dead in Christ rising first if they're already in heaven? Anybody ever asked that question? How does a dead in Christ rise first if they are already in heaven now? Is our understanding wrong that they're not in heaven? But doesn't it say that the dead in Christ will rise first and we will meet them in the air? Yeah. So what's he talking about? Now understand, Paul is the first one who teaches this stuff with the church in mind. And so he's got some things to, to help us out. So we're going to take a look at that one. How many have ever seen that, that Paul taught in this, this thing that the day of the Lord should not overtake you like a thief in the night? And we equate the day of the Lord like a thief in the night, like it is going to come on as a surprise. That is false. And that is not at all, not even close to what Paul teaches in that word, in that, in that uh, scripture. 
It is extremely clear what Paul teaches. It is considerably messed up by the teaching that has gone on. We're going to do nothing more than look at what Paul taught and show you exactly what he was getting at. Because by the time we finish with 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, there was one other thing too I think we put up on there. I don't remember what it was. There's a lot. I only put a couple of things up there on the Facebook because there's a lot in these chapters that will, um, some of it will just blow your doors off. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what the other, but if you looked at the whole Facebook thing, it's, it's in there. When we get finished with chapters 4 and 5, it is impossible to believe anything but a pre-rapture theory. And I don't mean it's open to, we interpret it this way. I mean it is impossible. When you look at what Paul says, how he phrases things, and what he, he teaches in this to the Thessalonian saints, it is impossible for there to be any other view than a pre-trapture. And this is someone who had a post-tribulation view before. It is impossible for that view to be right. Just in what Paul teaches in these scriptures we're going to go over here. So we gave you a few of the things that we'll, we'll talk about. There is something that, talks, that, that uh, Paul says, that we meet them in the air. Oh, I'll tell you what, when you see what Paul teaches about meeting Jesus in the air, with the saints go on before, there is something that will just blow your socks off. You'll just get all excited about what's, what's going on there. And um, Paul is just very clear in how he writes this and what he does. So this is going to be the first one in Paul's teaching. We'll have about five, I think, total on uh, the teachings of Paul on the end times. The first one is going to be today. So if you want to stick around, can stick around. We're going to start that up at 1 o'clock. Head on out, get yourself some lunch. Be back here about 1 o'clock, and we'll get uh, going on those things. Uh, Wednesday night, topic will be announced. I'll put it up on Facebook. On Tuesday, we, we finished the book of uh, uh, Colossians this past Wednesday, so we'll, we'll have something else that we'll be doing here on this one coming up. So check it out in, on the Facebook page on Tuesday. You'll let the get to see what's going on there. Have a great rest of the day. Hope to see you guys at one. Oh, we forgot. We were going to have our first um, uh, offering for the building fund today. We're going to be doing that on the first Sunday of the month. So I'll tell you what, we'll do it next Sunday and we'll put it all in there on that one. Um, we'll have that on that. So, But normally on the first Sunday of the month, we're going to have the building fund offering. So if you just want to plan on, on, on bringing building fund offering on the first thing of the month, but we're going to do it next Sunday with, uh, with that one, then we'll, we'll do that thing. My wife is going to uh, begin to do that. I didn't see her when we first started on out there, but um, she did pop one out. All right. See some of you guys at one o'clock then.